So I thought it might be nice tonight to reflect on uh, the new year. (laughs) It's this kind of thing that comes up January. You know, you have this sense of newness and beginnings. And uh, it's not that we don't do it at other times throughout the year, but there tends to be um, interest in reviewing our lives and considering how we're doing and maybe forming some resolves and uh, trying to establish some new ways of being, um, maybe for the coming year, maybe only for the next few hours. <laughs> you, you never know how long these resolutions are going to last. <laughs> well, the, the Buddhist teachings um, really advise us in this, uh, give, give, give us a lot of good advice and help in this regard, and uh, calls for some reflection. Because, uh, you know, the first thing that's obvious is even just in what we were doing, the taking the precepts, uh, the Buddha is really encouraging us to make um, very good use of what we call resolve and restraint. Um, and in some ways, they make it sound really easy. You know, and at one level, it is easy. Uh, so we set up an aspiration to behave in a certain way. That's what we're doing, say, when we recite the precepts or with other things in our lives. And, and then we endeavor to follow through on that. Um, in a way, you know, this is is what's activated with the precepts. I undertake the precept to resolve, uh, to refrain from incorrect speech, for example. And so then um, the mind, in, in a way, it kind of wraps itself uh, around that. We gather the forces of the mind around it. So just consider what's going on in that kind of um, enterprise. What we're activating is, uh, first of all, um, there's an idea in the mind. And this is uh, uh, the perception khanda, sanya, we call it. The mind has a lot of ideas. Some of them are good ideas, some of them are bad ideas, but it does tend to form ideas. And uh, so this is essentially what gets activated. We have this idea. Oh, I'd like to, dot, dot, dot. And and then uh, what gets activated is... um, the sankara, the mental formations, in a way, I mean, it's an appropriate name, appropriate way of expressing it, because what happens is the mind forms around that idea. It it just starts to build a a world around that idea. And it's a good idea. It's an idea worth following. And so the energy around it can be uh, quite uplifting, you know, and, and exciting in a way. So essentially, that's that's how it gets laid out. And, and another way that we can look at it is um, when we form these resolves, then what gets activated is mindfulness. We talk about mindfulness in a number of ways, but one of them has to do with memory, remembering. So sati is often translated as remembering. So it's like uh, you know you, you you get this idea. And you go, okay. And then when the impulse to arise uh, arises to behave in a certain way, then this, this memory gets engaged. You remember what it is that you wanted to do, the way that we wanted to behave. So like, say, with that example of speech, let's say, um, let's say you, for the sake of argument, that you have a habit of speaking without thinking. And sometimes it comes out in harsh or unkind ways, ways that we really didn't intend, right? And so we form this resolve to, to speak kindly, to, 
you know, speak to be thoughtful in our speech. And then when this impulse arises, this sort of automatic, very uh, unconscious and very quick impulse uh, will arise, then the mind remembers. It just remembers that we didn't want to do that. And this approach is so incredibly handy because essentially what it does is it, it slows everything down. It gives us the opportunity, if you will, to kind of get a wedge in there, you know, and and that, in a way, you're buying time, and um, that allows the possibility that this resolve, these good intentions, uh, can be brought to bear on that moment. A lot of things are in the mix in any given moment that are, in a way, um, determining what the outcome is going to be. <laughs> You know, and what we've done when we use uh, effectively, when we use um, resolve and restraint, is put some skillful stuff in that mix. So it's the same kind of thing that you're doing here when you're trying to conduct a retreat, as you are, without all the structure, without all the form. You know, we talk a lot um, when I get to meet with you um, personally about how that's going. <laughs> you know, how are you doing? You go, it's like, Wow, there's no bells. You know, there's, there's nobody all going in one direction and then going in another direction, and, and it's all up to me. You know, I've got to sustain this. So I've got to form this um, resolve and uh, see what happens when those moments come up where I want to wander and drift and dream. You know, so how are we going to gather ourselves around the, um, the skillful intention? So at the very least, what happens is you get a little bit of hesitation in there. And that counts for a lot. You know, even, it's, it's said that even if you go ahead and do the unskillful thing, it's better. <laughs> because it's been, uh, that moment of um, questioning or um, hesitating is very, very powerful. But at best, what can happen is that we buy enough time that can make it possible for us to fully restrain, you know, fully... Uh, offset these uh, unskillful impulses. So if you just look at it this way, there's just so much good stuff going on in the uh, effective use of of resolve and restraint. So that's it. You just use resolve and restraint, and then in no time flat, you've done an extreme makeover. It's great, you know? (laughs) That's all you got to do, right? Easy, right? Well, it's not so easy, is it? <laughs> it doesn't quite play out that way in, uh, the, in our actual experience. Now, for one thing, and this is especially true um, maybe when we're new to practice and maybe for many years into our practice until there's a significant amount of insight into non-self. You know, insight into non-self gives you the basis for letting go of unskillful things. You know, you've you've seen it clearly. You understand it. But until that happens, you you know, what happens is you can't really entirely trust where these impulses to change are coming from. You know, certainly we have, we we see a lot of things in ourselves that we don't like. And what happens is that, you know, the mind will react to these or respond to these out of wanting to be some other way um, not liking the way that we are, or just essentially just totally repressing or denying and not wanting to look at the whole mess. 
And, and in ways that I, I can't fully explain, it, what I see in myself, what I've seen in a lot of the people I talk to about practice, maybe it's a Western thing, I don't know, but we seem to have just an unbelievable propensity for self-loathing. You know, so, so, you know, it, sometimes it can be just personality ticks, and we stomp on them and beat up on ourselves and hate ourselves for the way that we are let alone the big stuff, you know, the really unskillful stuff that comes up. You know, so what essentially happens is that we end up trying to get free of greed, hatred, and delusion through greed, hatred, and delusion. <laughs> you just want to be some other way, hate the way you are, or ignore it or deny it. And you can see the vicious cycle that gets set up. We're just spinning around uh, in the same soup, we're still caught, very much caught up in it. So there's, and I think some of this comes from, we just have a lot of ideas in our minds about a right way to be, or even that there is a right way to be. And then each of us will have our own sense of what that is. I'm defining it for myself, you're defining it for yourself. And then the effort day after day, you know, moment to moment, month to month, year to year, is to try to become this idea that we have about a right way. You know, that never gets seen, uh, let alone challenged or, or, or overcome. So, as I said, too often, the impulse to change is just coming out of the very things that we're trying to overcome. And if we follow aversion or longing, then what you do is you, you find yourself creating a lot of agendas and plans in the mind. This is the way I'm going to be. This is the way I'm going to work it out. And uh, I went through a period in my own practice a number of years ago where I just started to get hip to this tendency. You know, it's amazingly painful and relentless. And I would notice that, say, at night, particularly at night when I got into bed, and I would lay there. And you know those, those moments before you actually fall off to sleep. And if you're a good meditator and you really care about trying to clean up your act, you know, trying to be a good person, then a lot of the stuff that comes into the mind in those few moments when we're falling off to sleep is kind of like a, a review of the day, you know. We, we consider the activities, consider the way that we've been, and, you know, there can be, without our realizing it, there's a subtle evaluating that's going on in all of that. You know, where um, you look at what we did and and what we didn't do. And uh, that sense of, I wasn't going to do that. And that sense of, uh, oh, I meant to do that and I didn't do it. You know, I was going to address that in a different way and I didn't. And so the, the net evaluation of this, if you watch it and if you even do this, I, I'm, I don't know if you do, but the whole thing gets sort of labeled as, um, you know, it wasn't a good day. <laughs> you know, it didn't, go, it didn't go as well as I wanted it to go. And so then the, maybe the last thing that happens as we drift off to sleep is we resolve to do better tomorrow, you know. There's this whole pro- whether this is at night or at another time throughout the day, this process tends to go on a lot in the mind. And, and and I'm not saying it's not 
it's not without value. You know, there's some good stuff operating in that, uh, some very good stuff. But as I said, too easily, what's going it, to, it's, it's like a mix of motives, a mix of moods and mind states going on in there. Some of it's skillful. We genuinely want to be good people. And we have to know that. We have to know that and actually feel good about ourselves. But you also have to know that this tendency towards self-loathing can make us relate to the way that we are in a way that just keeps generating more of the same. (laughs) It just keeps putting out more uh, resistance and, and longing in the mind and in the heart. It ends up just kind of being all whirling and swirling around at very superficial levels in the mind. You know, we're not, we're not getting off the merry-go-round. <laughs> we're still on it. Yeah? And so this has to be seen. There's this one sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya that I, I, I love. Well, there's, there's many of them, but this, the, one of the ones that's number two is called All the Taints. And the Buddha is talking about some of these deeply entrenched patterns of the mind that, um, you know, these are the deepest, deepest ruts. You know, and one of them is is um, the tendency towards self-absorption, self-view, uh, and and I love what he says about it. it. Partly, it just makes me laugh. I mean, he's got a he's got a wonderful sense of humor, and it comes through in this. But it it would be more funny if it wasn't so painful. But here's what he says. This is how one attends unwisely to all of this mess. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What did I become in the past? Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? What shall I be in the future? How shall I be in the future? Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Having been what? What shall I be in the future? Or else he is inwardly perplexed about the present thus. Am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this uh, being come from, and where will it go? And you can you can sense in that maybe we might use different words to express it, but this relentless um, reviewing and uh, evaluating and essentially self-concern that goes on in the mind. And one, one has to see this, see this tendency, and, and essentially feel the effect of being caught in all of this. Because the, the delusion that gets set up is that somehow change is going to come out of this. You know, some kind of skillful change or movement in the direction of the skillful is going to come out of this kind of spinning. But... Um, in fact, what actually happens is that this is the very stuff that keeps us locked into the behaviors. It's, it's like it's, we're actually buying into it. We're actually believing it. And, and when, even if you're resisting it, there's still the holding on. <laughs> even if you, you know, with the delusion is we think that because we acknowledge that it's not a good thing and we don't like it and we want to get rid of it, then that's, that's good. <laughs> But actually, that's the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. 
So if our resolve to change is, is being born out of this kind of self-absorbed thinking, then um, it's not going to work because it's way too superficial and it's very ill-informed. There's, not, there's very little understanding in that kind of approach. So uh, our motivation is only to get to someplace else and to get away from the way, the way that we are, the place that we are. So that's one thing. You know, you can't. You got to evaluate this stuff. We can't always expect uh, or trust that the way that we're coming at it is clean. You just look and see if it's got these kinds of self-absorbed yearnings in them. Then it, it's a little suspect. Another thing that can make it difficult is that you you can form resolves and decide to shift behaviors in some direction. And yet um, we have to take into account the uh, habit and the patterns that we've created to the contrary. This can be, this can be incredibly painful, where you're trying so hard to, to, to go in this direction, and along comes this thing that just wants to go in the other direction. You know, you get, so you've got these intentions, but you've got all these counter-intentions that are, are, are pretty um, deeply entrenched, you know, habits that we've generated through many years. So uh, one of the ways to break through all of this, and in a way I have to acknowledge that it's counterintuitive. <laughs> you know, part of what the practice in asks us to do is really counterintuitive. That this, this huge giant step can be taken if we um, begin to just open to and accept the way that we are. To look at the way that we are and in, in essence refuse to be at war with it. <laughs> refuse to enter into an adversarial relationship with it. Now, this isn't easy. Because our, our habit is definitely to the contrary. But just to begin to uh, make the effort to, to open the heart, you know, so, so you this way. Come on, you know. What are we going to do? Keep smacking ourselves around and hate ourselves for our things? But rather just to, uh, you know, open the chest, open the heart, and just take a deep breath and, and breathe in the way that we actually are. One of the one of the I was talking to one of the monks about this, one of my teachers, and you know um, he had some very useful thoughts. Uh, he said that uh, we all, we have very great difficulty changing things whose reality we deny, we don't see, or we repress. Nothing is going to change if we're denying it, don't don't see it, or repress it. That that. Changing is about our willingness to experience rather than to disown whatever may be um, our habit or our pattern. Just everything that's going on. And this means our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, generally the way that we are. So he said that we we really have to experience um, without denial and without avoidance, without aversion, the way it is. This, this is the body that is my home. 
this is the mind and that is the, the, the fruit of my karmic patterns. You know, there's no, there's no um, escaping it. <laughs> so the only thing that makes sense then is to receive it, to allow it, to uh, maybe o- approach it with some semblance of open-heartedness. You know, and I've found over the years in my own practice as, as, the, as the ability to just stand back and accept and allow everything that I've seen. I mean, warts and all, <laughs> all the junk, <laughs> all the stuff that I've tried so hard to uh, overcome or ignore. You know, the, the more that one is able to do that, in a twisted kind of way that I can't explain, you just get happier and more content and more, just like, more comfortable in your skin. You know, it's like even, even people criticizing you, telling you the, the, the awful things that they see in you. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I can see that. You know, it's, not, it's no surprises because you've seen it yourself. And... Received it and accepted. You don't. You don't get into battles internally. You don't get into battles externally. And then one of the beautiful side effects of this is that the difficulties of our lives just cease to consume us. You know how they, we can get so preoccupied with this stuff. You just go on and on and on and on about it. You know, and that's not the way. I want to spend my time, you know, and working with things in this more open-hearted way. You you, you really just cut through all of that because basically um, everything that occurs is seen as normal. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's just what is. And then it's our job as meditators to see if what is is serving us or uh, disserving us to see for ourselves if it's hurting us and other people or not. And if you can feel that, in order to be able to do that, there's got to be a a vast impartiality. You can't have an opinion about the fact that you are that way. That's acceptance. That's receiving it. That's allowing it to be there. So just to give you a few examples, um, when we can work with things in this way skillfully, you know, you find that you're just not so flustered by it all. I, w- I was talking to a gal um, recently who uh, is, was just sharing with me a, a, a bout that she was having with sloth. You know, she um, she had seen that over a period of years, really, she had gotten into a very slothful state. And it was having some pretty uh, uh, hefty consequences. She'd gained a lot of weight. She wasn't, you know, just, you know how you can get winded sometimes just going upstairs when you're out of shape, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, she was getting older. And she realized she had just, uh, without noticing it, just become a lot more sedentary. And over the years, this was having um, some, some pretty um, significant ill effects. 
So um, she was also, as she said it, she was also convinced that a lot of her aches and pains and, and things that were going on in her body were, were due to this sloth, that if she could just get a little more energy, uh, that some of this stuff would be abated. And generally, she said, I'm just, I'm just unhappy being a slug. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, it was fun at first, but it's not fun anymore. Just getting too sedentary and stuck in my ways. So she, she determined to, to join a health club in town. And she basically put it on her to-do list, you know, along with the groceries and the other stops that she had to make when she went to town. So she said she went several times. <laughs> and each time that she went to town, um, it was almost as if her car had a mind of its own. And as she would drive towards the health club, it just and went on to the next errand, you know. It, it just kind of d- diverted itself quite naturally and seemingly against her, her will, you know, because she really wanted to do this. And sometimes she would turn and just go back home. So um, at first, she couldn't see it clearly, and she got really annoyed with herself, really... Um, uh, irritated that she couldn't, you know, she had this skillful intention. She made this resolve, and she wasn't able to follow through on it. So in this this kind of getting angry and beating up on herself was her usual, you know, the old way, the way that she had always done things in the past. And then she said she started to create a person who had all kinds of problems. You know, see, I knew it, you know. Now it's really serious. Now I've got this, that, and the other thing. All kinds of problems. And This is what we do, isn't it? It's, it's like the mind begins to proliferate around the difficulty. It's not enough that this thing is happening. Then we start to um, create a, a person who just doesn't have their act together, has all kinds of difficulties. But she was really a good practitioner, and it didn't take long. She began to remember that this kind of approach, this resistance and, and hating, it just doesn't work. It's, it's useless. It doesn't bring about the results that it appears to. So she just began to watch the resistance and, and try to learn. She went several more times, you know. And the car would not go up to this health club. It just would not go up front and, and park there. And, <clears throat> you know, she, she said even at one point she had the thought as she was driving, getting in the car and leaving the house, she goes, she says, I wonder what's going to happen this time. <laughs> you know, this, this sense of really not being in control of it, which was good, actually, I think, good to recognize that the sheer force of these habits and patterns, no matter how much we may wish or hope or want to change things, you got this momentum going in another direction. So she said she just tried to relax around sloth. And and just by relaxing, um, you know, just able to look at it in a much more impartial way. And, you know, began to develop a deep appreciation for how um, easy it is to get entrenched in these patterns, this sedentary pattern and habit that had gone on for a few years. And it, you know, it occurred to her, well, wait a minute, I've been doing this for a number of years. I can't expect 
that on the first impulse to turn it around, I'm going to be able to do that. And I thought that was really good. It was very, very realistic and skillful. And so she, was, she be, just began to, to look more impartially at the whole thing. This, this is a situation where there's not a lot of energy in the system. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's too much energy and we have to relax. And sometimes there's not enough energy. And, you, and we have to find a way to bring the energy into the system. And this was really what was going on. You just look at it in part. It's sloth. This is how sloth operates. This is the way it behaves. And so when you know that, you can begin to um, give rise to the things that need to be um, aroused to greet it and, and to address it. I never did find out if she went. <laughs> we, uh, it was at the end of a retreat, and uh, uh, she was going to go back and try again. But that's, this is a good example of sort of just skillfully watching it and, and learning how these things operate and not trying to force, not trying to force things, but uh, discovering what it feels like to be in these states. And, and let that, in time, take its course and do the work of practice. So, so she was quite skilled and, and could, could work with it, but, but sometimes we come up against things that are just a lot more difficult to see. Sometimes it's because, in one way or another, the pattern or the habit is serving us, and it has served us well. So... You know, a number of years ago, for example, I, I met this uh, guy at, at, at the monastery who, um, you know, when I first met him, I mean, I really liked him. He, he was really cool. He was just laid back, relaxed. Nothing seemed to ruffle his feathers. You know, it didn't... Uh, he was able to, to deal with everything that was going on, and he often brought a note of levity to difficult situations that might be going on at the monastery. You know, I gave him a nickname. I called him the glider because he just seemed to glide, <laughs> to kind of glide through life and, and glide through every situation. But it, it didn't take long um, for me as I, as I got to know him to recognize that he was working really hard to, to maintain that veneer. You know, I, I had this image of him as like a, a duck that's going across the water. And from the surface, you just see this duck, this kind of gliding, easy movement of the duck across the surface of the water. But if you had an underground, underwater camera, you know, you'd see that it was going like this, you know, <laughs> just frantically uh, paddling in order to uh, create that glide, that easy, easy veneer. And, and this fellow was a lot like that. You know, you, you, as I got to know him, we got to be good friends, you know, you, you could see that he was kind of um, forcing a calm and, and holding things down, basically as a way of um, controlling the environment, controlling the people in the environment, and even controlling himself. Like, because basically he had, he had grown up in a very harsh environment, one that was uh, even violent. And um, he had learned 
that, they, that the way to manage this, the way to control it, is just to keep it all down. You know, if I can keep it cool, maybe the environment around me will stay cool. And, um, and that's, that's the uh, mechanism he, he had adopted and used for, for many years. But basically, through practice, he was beginning to able, he was beginning to see that he was actually doing this. Um, and, and the way that he would do it, he, is he would notice, you know, as you get more precise than you're observing, you're not just noticing what's going on, um, say, in the room, but very subtly, like how your body is reacting, how your mind is reacting to things. And he began to become attuned to this ten- tension that he would immediately stomp on and try to relax, stomp on and try to relax. Whenever there was the slightest hint of disorder or disharmony in the room, he would, he would tighten. And basically, you know, he said at some point after a number of years of looking at it that he just didn't want to do this anymore. And at some point, this is the way it is for us, it just, it becomes, it's actually a, a better alternative to just open to difficulty. It's actually um, more heartening to open than it is to try to get away from it. And I think this is what the the Buddha is saying in his teaching on the the Noble Truths, the first Noble Truths. There is difficulty. You can scramble all we want to try to make that not be true, to try to avoid it when it's happening. But none of that is actually going to change the fact of dukkha. There is dukkha. And for for many years in, in my own practice, I... I actually, I actually thought what the Buddha was saying was, you know, if you could just open your heart to the truth of dukkha, then you'll be happier. Everything will be better. You know, I couldn't see the subtle ways that I was still wanting it to be great all the time, you know, still wanting it to be pleasant all the time. But what the Buddha is saying in, in the, his teaching on dukkha is that it's much more profound than that. He's actually saying, it's, it's like this. Life is this way. It's always going to be this way. It's never going to be any other way. The, the, the human birth carries with it difficulty. And so basically he's saying, if you get that, then you get the inspiration and the aspiration to wake up so you don't have to be reborn back into it again. You know, it's very deep. It's very profound what he's saying here. So this this fellow was uh, working with this and beginning to discover for himself, as we all do. You know, he's a good example because I think we all do this. This, what's the better path? Am I going to keep forcing uh, and 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 uh, wear myself out? with wanting things to be pleasant all the time, with wanting life to go well? Or am I going to muster some uh, enthusiasm, if you will, for the fact that this is the way it is? And find a way to open the heart to that. And you, you, you discover it's not so bad. <laughs> it's actually always been this way. And we've actually been bearing it. 
So, but there is a weird paradox in it, I find, with opening to dukkha. There is a way that we are a little happier. (laughs) Because at least what we've done is cut off the resistance and the wanting. So that whole layer of suffering, that whole layer of compounding difficulty has been released. We're definitely moving to a better state. Uh, during this time, one of, one of the nuns told me um, that uh, whenever she and, and the, the other sisters see um, somebody who is who's trying to repress things or, or trying to hide either from themselves or just from the way that it is, they tend to like brace themselves, you know, because they know um, if this person is doing the practice, sooner or later they're not going to be able to repress it anymore. They're not going to be able to hide you know, they, they will indeed open to us, um, open to, to what is. And I like that, you know. There's a, there's a, what she's saying here is that um, the practice brings these kinds of results. There will be open-heartedness if we're doing the practice. You know, I find that living at the monastery, I spend a lot of time each year at the, um, in the monasteries in the lineage of Ajahn Chah. And um, one of the things that I like about going there is that it's a, it's a very supportive environment for just this kind of work. Um, you know, there's, in a way, there's an agreement not to hide <laughs> and not to repress, which is different, I find, than most uh, my other relationships. So that um, you know, hidden in that agreement is kind of a is kind of a contract with each other to be able to receive and endure each other's crazy places. You know, and this is so valuable. Um, this is sangha. This is community. This is what we need to be for each other, because this this process is is uh, not so easy. You need support. Uh, people around us who are willing to take our imperfections when they burst out, you know, and, and let it just be an imperfect moment. Just let it uh, arise and pass and, and bear it. We know that it takes this. It takes a, a lot of room. We need a lot of room to do this practice. Uh, lots of time and space. This, this way of opening the heart and accepting and receiving the way things are, it... it it's it's very foreign to us. It goes against the the way that we are accustomed to relating. So we try to work with things in in this impartial way. And, and sometimes the things that we come up against are are more difficult than others and harder to see. And sometimes uh, you may notice that things in this process of, of uh, receiving, opening, that things can kind of go on this pendulum swing. <laughs> you, know, they may, you may find themselves, ourselves swinging in another direction for a period of time. One of the um, people that I knew um, there for a long time uh, was a very proper English lady. 
And she had this way of always um, just being very cordial and fair, very compliant. I'm sure you've met people like this, where they just go, go along with whatever the rules are, whatever people say, this is what I need to do. Just very obedient and compliant. And um, over the years, one began to see that this, uh, was, this was kind of a, um, a forced compliance. You know, that she too, like this other fellow, was kind of holding things down. And I remember a few years ago, she was somebody who's lived at the monastery for a long time, and um, after practicing in the way that I've been describing, uh, with the, the guidance of the community, um, she really began to come unglued. And she w- was going around the monastery just complaining and whining and barking and throwing tantrums about everything that was going on all these years that she absolutely hated. <laughs> and, and she just never could say. And, and yet now, now she could. She, she just opened up and allowed it all to come out, you know, just barking at everybody and at everything. You know, and, you know, I'll never forget the nuns were all kind of standing in the background going, yes, you know. It was like this kind of cheering going on because basically it was widely seen as an improvement. You know, some shift had been made, whereas something was being repressed and forced down. Now, whatever was holding it down was released and it could come up, you know. And and sometimes, you know, I don't want to give the impression that this you want to go around barking about things, you know, or complaining all of the time. But you you have to recognize that sometimes, even that can be um, an improvement. And and it's that even that also certainly needs to be held lovingly. It needs to be held with an, an open heart. So yes, we, we form resolves, we exercise restraint, try to overcome unskillful states. The Buddha talks a lot about this. That's very much a part of the teachings. But you also have to know that sometimes the states that we're trying to overcome are so powerful. You, you know, you, they're... they're it's just very difficult to take on. You know, one of, one of my teachers said one time that sometimes even mindfulness is no match for a full-blown mental hindrance. It, it just can't. It, you can watch it all you want. It's not going to stop. And we have to know this. And, and try approaches that uh, work under those conditions. These have to do with opening, opening the heart, allowing and receiving the way that things are. And then the behaviors shift. They do shift, and change does take place, but it's not coming out of any longing to be some other way or aversion to the way that we are. It's coming because we accept it, we receive it, and most importantly, we know we've, we've had the direct experience of what it feels like to be that way. Change has only ever come out of that approach, the, the direct feeling, the direct knowledge.
not, not because we crush or overcome things or force it. So I hope some of these thoughts are useful to you, especially if you're in this resolution mode, <laughs> New Year's resolution mode, but certainly throughout the course of any day where we're evaluating what's going on and trying to find um, skillful ways to work with what comes up in us. You know, it's it's not easy. And you got to, we often say that you got to have a lot of tools in your tool belt. <laughs> You've got to know what's going to work under what conditions. Just um, examine and bring to bear you know, the whole breadth of the Buddhist teachings because there's, so, there's many, many angles from which he comes at it. And sometimes they sound outright contradictory. <laughs> but it's because under this situation you need this, under this situation you need that. Sometimes you can just get yourself out of it. Sometimes you can't. And what are you going to do when you can't? you just got to find a way to open the heart to the fact of what um, has arisen. So I offer this for your reflection tonight. Shall we um, close with the sharing of blessings? Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent, or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, 
May darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.